Come on down. It's already walking. It's perfect. Perfect timing. We're going to show you something that uh, we've been working on for a while. He and I just whipped this up on our copy machine this week. We have a new banner that, as you can see, says our mission to reach the world for the Lord Jesus Christ one person at a time. And for a long time, we have had this wonderful banner and this wonderful mission statement. A while ago, uh, in May actually, we talked uh, a lot about doing something with our mission statement. Specifically, taking the bottom line there, reach out to the world, and making that more of a focus for our congregation. And so we are uh, going to be doing that. And so next week, you will find this in the place of that one, with the idea that our mission is going to be even more specified than what it's been in the past. And I'm excited about that. I think that God is going to bless our efforts to reach out to the world for the Lord Jesus Christ one person at a time. So I, I hope you're excited about that. We certainly are. Thanks, Pete. Well, we started with a question this morning, the question about how you specifically respond when there is some kind of tragedy or bad news something that goes on in your life that isn't exactly the way that you want it to be. And again, like it's so appropriate for us to be discussing that this morning in light of the things that people in our church family just in the last few days have had to endure. And uh, again, our hearts go out to the Wise family. We want to be thinking about them. We want to be thinking about uh, Ernie Amante and just ask God to bless him uh, as he recovers from his surgery. I have had, uh, in my own life, I have had various times when I have had to deal with uh, what I would consider fairly significant tragedy. I mean, I've told my story before. For those of you who are guests today, I lost my mother when I was nine. I lost my father when I was 19. I uh, lived uh, in a dysfunctional family while I was uh, growing up. Uh, there was just an awful lot that I had to deal with uh, early on. Now, since I met Robin, it's all been good. And I, and I really mean that. I mean, I just have not had the experience of all kinds of tragedy in my life uh, since Robin and I got married. Uh, the thing that probably is most difficult for us right now is, and I've mentioned this also, is that Robin's mother has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and we have to uh, wrestle with what that means uh, for her and for our family, and, and that's going to be a difficult thing for us to negotiate our way through. And so I've been thinking some uh, about this whole notion of dealing with heartache and, and tragedy. And um, it just so happens, and of course the Lord works this out, doesn't he, just perfectly, that in looking at the schedule for our life group lessons and in kind of keeping up with those and, and gauging my sermons accordingly, that we happened on this subject today. But I think happened on it in a very interesting Way. And I want to show you what I mean uh, by that. When I think of uh, responding to hard times, difficult times, uh, much the way that Jesus would. And that's kind of the subject for the morning. How is it that Jesus himself would respond to difficult times? And this is important, not, not only for my family that has to face some things, but because all of you, of course, have to face things that are trials in your lives. And they come at different times in different ways. But all of us have to face circumstances that are difficult for us. Now, this is an interesting passage to me. Uh, where is it? Okay, I, sorry, lost my place for a moment. 
In response to the question that we were asking this morning, here are the kind of possible answers that you may have come up with in answering the question, what do I do in response to tragedy, to heartache? And here are some possibilities. Deep anxiety. What will the future hold? Robin and I think we wonder about that. I'm talking to some of you who have gone through the same kind of experience with loved ones uh, with reference to Alzheimer's. Don't know what that means. How exactly is that going to affect our lives and certainly Robin's mother's life and, and her immediate family's life? And so deep anxiety is a possibility. Anger. Why has this happened to me? No doubt you've had something happen to you and you've asked that question. Why has this happened to me? Self-medication. Drugs or alcohol is a way that people sometimes respond to the heartache that they feel. Uh, there's anywhere from mild to debilitating depression that can happen when heartache happens to us. Denial. This isn't real. Or maybe it isn't that bad when really it's quite tragic for us. Personal resolve. Uh, I can get through this. I can make it. I can do this by uh, pulling up my bootstraps and, and I'm going to get through. Uh, reliance on others. I will need their help to get me through this. And of course, we want to rely on our church family. And sometimes uh, that becomes very real for us to rely on other people. Confidence in the Lord. We're Christians. We'd like to think that somehow confidence in Jesus Christ is going to be entering into that whole equation of what do we do? God will get me through this. And then God, where have you gone or what are you doing? Is certainly a question that people ask in light of the difficult circumstances that they often face. Now, I mentioned Jesus faced some difficult circumstances. Of course he did. And here's one that I think is probably more significant than we could give it credit for just by reading this story. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. And if you're thinking, boy, is that grotesque? Indeed, it would be. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Now, I don't know if it affects us in the same way that it needs to affect us. This event in the life of Christ. My impression is that Jesus, in seeing John die and understanding that John is gone, has experienced a real tragedy in his life. Now, we know that John was related to Jesus. We know there was a, a family relationship between the two of them. We don't know exactly what that was. It, most likely, they were cousins. But some kind of relationship that exists uh, between the two of them. And I think that in many ways... This is a shock to Jesus, not just because they were family members, but because of what's now happened in the ministry of Christ. You remember what Jesus or what John's ministry was as he comes into the world? Jesus talks about it and talks about how John was a forerunner. John himself talked about how he was a forerunner to Jesus and was going to bring this message of the kingdom, even in anticipation of what Jesus was doing in coming into the world. And John was the one person in the world when Jesus came who got it. 
John was the one person who really understood what Jesus was about and what he was there for. You read through the Gospels, and the Gospels are so clear that the disciples didn't get it. They were clueless so many times. Jesus says things like, have I been with you so long and you don't get it? It's very clear that they were clueless most of the time, but John got it. And all of a sudden, Jesus, who comes from heaven to be with human beings, finds himself essentially alone. And the one person who got him, who understood, has now been beheaded. And it's not strange to think that Jesus would be anticipating that something tragic was going to happen to himself. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, well, of course he knew all those things. He's the son of God. I think he knew many of those things. But there's this human side of Jesus as well. And while Jesus knows things in advance, there's so much that apparently he is self-limiting in and doesn't choose to know in advance. And I think Jesus is wrestling here. He has to be wrestling with what's happened to John and what this means for his own ministry. Now, here's an important point for us. Whatever happens next is going to show the response of Jesus to tragedy. Because he's experienced it. He has lost the most important person, perhaps, in his life and ministry as a human being. And suddenly, that person is gone. And so this morning, what I want to do is spend a few minutes here asking the question, how does Jesus respond to tragedy? What does this mean for him? What does it look like for Jesus, the Son of God, to experience tragedy? And that's got to tell me something about how I, too, need to respond to tragedy. I'm going to respond the way Jesus does, I pray. And so, the first response of Jesus, I think, is fairly well recognized. And you can see this from this text. If you, again, if you look at John or Matthew chapter 14, this is on page 692 of your uh, Pew Bibles, by the way. And I'd like for everybody to turn, if they would, to Matthew 14. The first of Jesus is pretty well known, and preachers talk about this quite often in sermons, and it's this. He withdrew to a solitary place to be with his father. And so if you look at Matthew 14, verse 13, it says, When Jesus heard what had happened, talking about the death of John, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And then if you look over at verse 23, After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Now, this is interesting because Jesus, in, in different times, he'll go up on a mountainside to pray. But what does he do in this particular circumstance? Jesus actually gets into a boat and goes out into the middle of the lake. Now, we know after this, he ends up on the shore and the people have discovered that he was going to a certain spot. And maybe they've watched him across the lake and they all run around and they get to that spot in the lake. And they're there when he finishes his journey across the lake. But Jesus spends time out in the middle of the lake in a boat. Because he doesn't want, at this point, to be with people. Now, we know that he's actually with his disciples during this time. It talks about him being uh, in a, doing this by, in private. If you look at the other stories in the other Gospels, Jesus is clearly still with the disciples when he goes out into the boat. And later on, they get back into the boat after they've been on the shore for a while. And it's clear that this boat is big enough to handle 13, 14, 15 people. And so Jesus is not out doing this boat all by himself. But he takes the time to go with his disciples and to be alone. 
And this is clearly his pattern of life. And one of the things that Jesus always does is when he faces tragedy, hardship, when people are pressing on him, when the crowds are just more than he can take, Jesus goes and he finds a place to be alone. And the fact is, this is something that we need to do. Sherry Wise isn't here today. If Sherry was here, I'd love to put my arm around her and tell her I love her and I'm sorry that her dad passed away. But maybe what Sherry needs this morning is to be alone. Maybe she doesn't need to be here with all of us this morning. Maybe Sherry needs to be with her God. Maybe she needs to be thinking about what it means to have lost her father. And it might be totally appropriate for her to be turning to her heavenly father today, even by herself, as she reflects on what it means to lose her own father. And so I encourage you this morning, when tragedy strikes, do this thing that Jesus does. I hope that your relationship with God is such that you can easily go before your heavenly father and talk to him when tragedy hurts your heart, breaks it. And that somehow God can fill you and bless you with his presence. The first thing Jesus does is he goes and he wants to be alone. Now, the next responses of Jesus are not as well recognized. And this first one is, I think all of us probably recognize that Jesus did that. He went and was alone when tragedy struck. The next responses are not as well recognized because they aren't always connected to his tragedy. The first one is this. Notice in verse 14 of chapter 14 that when Jesus goes across the lake, the text specifically says that he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, what's amazing to me, what, like we don't normally see this event related to the previous one. Typically, we think of John having died. He's beheaded by Herod. Jesus goes out into the middle of the lake in the boat. And after that, everything is fine. There's no direct connection between what's happening in Jesus' life after this and the death of John. But is that the way grief works? Not hardly. And it certainly doesn't happen when you're the son of God and you come and you've got one person in the world who really understands you and that person suddenly is gone. And so I'm guessing that Jesus was hurting badly when he finishes his trip across the lake. But the first thing he does after he goes across the lake is to have compassion on people. And it says specifically that he healed their sick. Now, I don't know about you. I don't think that would be my first response. I can see me getting out of the boat after having endured what I've just endured and all the pain that is still so raw from that. And I would not be thinking what I want to do now is have compassion on people and heal them. He had just lost the person who understood him best. It's easy for me to think that he would have said, I've had enough with people right now. I'm not interested in ministering to anybody. In fact, I'm the one who is hurting here. Have you ever said that? You probably have. You've probably thought, right now, I don't want to deal with anybody else. Right now, I'm the one who's hurting and I need my time. I felt that way. Our elders have felt that way. John Coughlin's told me that he's felt that way. What's that? I, uh, sorry, I'm, what's that term that you use? Don't you bring me into this. <laughs> 
compassionate fatigue. That's what happens to a person when they are just so weary of dealing with people to the point where now John becomes this compassionately fatigued person who hurts himself because of all that he has to endure. Can't you imagine that Jesus was just like that? But still, this amazes me. Still, it says that he had compassion on people and he was healing them. He could have decided he was just too weary. He could have said, go away, come back later. He could have been a grump. Could have got out of the boat and said, don't tie it off right there. Could have been in a bad mood. He could have been rude. But Jesus, the text says, that he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And so even at this dark hour, he found time with his father and the spiritual strength that comes out of that. And he's blessed. And that amazes me. Jesus has this dark hour and finds that time. Secondly, Jesus specifically models for others his strength and willingness to minister and care for people, even at the most difficult time. This is fascinating, too. He starts to minister to these people and to heal them, and then he finds out that they're hungry. And what does Jesus do in response to the hunger of the people who are there, these sheep without a shepherd? The disciples come and they want to say to Jesus, let's send them away so they can get food. And Jesus says, no, don't send them away to get food. Instead, does he say, I think I'll perform a miracle. No, he says, interestingly enough, you feed them. Now, does Jesus really think that the disciples are just going to go and Feed these people all of a sudden? 5,000 men, not counting even the women and the children? I don't think so. Instead, I think that Jesus knows exactly what he's going to do. And when Jesus says, you feed them, he knows they're going to have to say to him, sorry, we can't do it. We don't have enough food. And Jesus at that point, even at a point when he is weary and tired and burdened and broken, and grieving is still in the process, the text says, of training his disciples to care for people. Still training his disciples to have faith. Still showing them, even at a time like that, that his dependence on God isn't for a moment going to waver, and that he can feed 5,000 people just like that with the help of the Lord, even despite the tragedy that has taken place in his life. I think that's amazing. He does this when he asks the disciples in chapter 14, verse 16, to feed the crowd. Thirdly, Jesus modeled spiritual strength and helps move his followers to faith. Here's the text. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Remember, I said they got back into the boat after they were on the shore. He feeds the 5,000. They get back in the boat. He makes them to go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. We noticed that already. That's what he does. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. 
Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. And I don't have the rest of the story there, but you know it. The rest of the story is that Jesus begins to walk on the water, and what happens? He starts to sink. He's afraid. He looks at the wind. He sees the waves. And Peter thinks to himself, I can't do this. And he was right. God can do that. God can help Peter do that. But Peter can't do that. And so he starts to sink. And he is afraid. Jesus has faced huge tragedy. After time alone with God, he sees one whom he loves struggling. And he is right there. And that's exactly how God is with us. Now, your first thought might be, it's too much to expect us to be like Jesus, Kelly. Jesus did these things, but this is a but much for us. We're not really capable. He was the divine son of God. He could help those people even despite his tragedy. He could minister to Peter and call Peter to faith and bolster him and encourage him when he's sinking. Even despite the fact that John had been killed, he can do that. He was the, 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 the divine son of God. We can't have the faith that Jesus had. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. It seems to me like maybe there is expectation there, that there is hopefulness on God's part that maybe something else could happen. And so I want to ask, is it too much to ask? Is it too much, is it too much for me to ask this morning that Christians would have enough faith in God that in the middle of real tragedy we would still find ourselves able to minister to others? Is it too much to ask that we won't be completely bowled over by what's happening in our own lives so that we can still take care of others? Well, I would say it isn't too much to ask, and here's why. Feeding 5,000 and walking on water even when tragedy has occurred, are signs that something new is happening. Something new is happening. Something dramatically new that Jesus is a part of and bringing into the world is happening. And if Jesus is doing something new in the lives of those people, he can do something new in the lives of those of us who are sitting here. We are part of a redemptive work of God in which a redemptive history is unfolding. Things are not the same. It might look like to the rest of the world that we shouldn't be able to get anything accomplished for God anymore. But we can. Because... Everything is being made new, even our possible responses to tragedy. The point is that you're not a mere human being anymore. You're not by yourself. 
The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you. You're not just a weak human being who isn't able to conquer the things that happen to you because God is with you. And the example of Jesus is that when God is with someone, they can actually do this. We're capable of enduring incredible things. Amazing pain. Enduring things with amazing pain and responding, coming out of that as people with faith. People with real faith, a dynamic faith, a powerful faith, the kind of faith that moves mountains, that changes lives. And so I want to say this morning that there is a new presence here. There's a new kingdom here. There is a new future here. There's a new strength here. There's a new perspective and response to tragedy that can be ours. Now, I don't want to, to say this glibly. I don't want to say this callously. I don't want to say this as if I don't think tragedies are real. They are. I have had genuine pain take place in my life. I can remember like it was yesterday when I walked into a room in, in my living room when I was 19 years old and there was a group of my father's co-workers there along with my stepmother and I came in after work not having any idea about what was happening and I walked into the room and one of them who was so nervous he, he could barely talk, he got out, of the, got out of his seat and he walked across the room like this and he looked at me and he didn't know what to say and he finally said, Kelly, I've got to tell you, your father has cancer, they give him two months to live, he is not going to make it. I'd been a Christian for, at that point, four years. And I have to tell you, it was my faith in Jesus Christ that sustained me, period. And you cannot tell me that the faith we have in Christ can't sustain us and strengthen us, make us stronger than we could ever be. Because that's what he does. And when Jesus lost the one person in his life who could encourage him, because they understood better than anyone else, when Jesus lost that person, Jesus found it, I won't say within himself, it was with his relationship with his father. To still minister to people. To still care. To come back with incredible strength. To encourage others to have strength and faith. He was able to do that because God is not dead. And he's not absent. And we're not alone. He gives us power. And he strengthens us. And it's real. It means something. And we, in response, when we experience tragedy and pain, can minister to others because that's exactly what Jesus does for us. Many of you face tragedy. Most of us will face more before we're done here on this earth. We can't for a moment take it too lightly. Again, just in the last few days, Ernie and Christian, the Cannon family and Sherry Wise's father being gone. Those challenges are real challenges. We know them well. 
and the response that is called for is faith. Jesus wants us in those circumstances to believe. And so what will be your response when it comes your way? And I think it's totally appropriate for some preventive medicine to go on here. Because it's going to happen. It wasn't very long ago that I mentioned before all of you on a Sunday morning. I said, we don't know when the next tragedy will be. Well, we found out this week. And it will happen again. And are we going to be the people to whom Jesus says, why do you have those doubts? Or are we going to say, I believe. I pray that your response is perseverance. I pray that it's faithfulness. I pray that it's more than perseverance. I pray that it's proactive, ministering, compassionate faith. There are people who when tragedy happens, they remain faithful. And my, my stepmother was like this in one sense. After my father died, my stepmother basically died too. She didn't have much of a life after that for the next 12, 13, 14 years that she lived. What will be your response when it happens to you? When those darkest of times come, can you see that God is doing something new here? That when he brings his kingdom, he brings something new into our lives and into our world that changes things. And here's the point. You can do more than just persevere. You can be a powerful force for God, not only despite the tragedy that comes your way, but precisely because of it. Because in the strength that God gives to you, there is something there that the world needs. And they can see that in you. And you can bring it to them. And make available to the world exactly what they need. Others can look to you to be encouraged. They can see your life as evidence. That what has come into the world with Jesus is world changing. They can see a new reality. We share that new reality. The world needs to share it with us. We talk about this new mission. We want to really reach out to the world. It will happen when his people have from him experienced such grace and such blessing and encouragement. And when they have faith through all of that, Tim, in turn, pass that on to this world that needs it so badly. I really pray for those who hurt today, who are here, and those who aren't here, that they'll experience from God this great blessing of comfort. But more than that, I pray that in their comfort, they'll be able to turn that comfort right into the blessings for the world that we can be when he has comforted us. Let's pray together. Lord, when I look at your life here on earth, 
and I see how you lived. I want to be like you. And the way in which you were able, even in your pain and your loss, to still find room to be compassionate and to care, to minister, to serve, to encourage faith in others. God, I'm I'm so confident that that's only possible because you yourself had such faith. Help us to have that kind of faith. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.